Welcome to Business as a Magical Practice, where your business is the vehicle for your self-integration and soul evolution. My name is Sam Garcia, and I'm the founder of Dirty Alchemy Digital Marketing. And I'll be guiding you through how you can use your business as a spiritual practice and what magical businesses are doing to hit their goals and change the world. Together, we'll be relating the mystical to the world of business so that our work can unite spirit and matter, shadow and light, conscious and unconscious. Let's dive in. Hello, hello everyone. Welcome back to Business as a Magical Practice. And what if an alignment with the divine feminine is what fuels smart, analytical, and driven women to show up in their full power? Juicy question, right? <laughs> so today we have special guest Eleanor Meaton, and we're going to dive into just that of specifically how to weave the sacred feminine into your business. And if you're not familiar with Eleanor, she is the founder of Safi Media, an education and coaching platform for women entrepreneurs through Safi Media and the podcast Power and Presence and Position. Eleanor and her team are committed to advancing global gender equity through women's entrepreneurship. They're on a mission to double the number of women entrepreneurs who scale past $1 million in revenue by 2030. So what an honor. Thank you so much for being here, Eleanor. It's a huge honor to be here with you and your incredible community. Uh, great. So let's just dive in. Like, I mean, how do you define the sacred feminine? Mm, so to me, the sacred feminine, it really goes way back to, um, I was doing an MFA, Masters of Fine Arts. I didn't finish it. <laughs> So did not finish it, but I had started it and I was working on a novel, really trying to think through a container and structure to tell the story. And people in my class were talking about the hero's journey, you know, where the hero, he gets this call, he goes out into the world and, and overcomes one obstacle after another. Each obstacle challenges him to greater levels of greatness until the end where he either gets what he wants or what he needs. And I was like, this is not a very satisfying way <laughs> for me to structure a story. Like, this is not a great structure for me. And my teacher, this beautiful novelist said, yeah, well, maybe you should check out The Heroine's Journey. And so The Heroine's Journey, written by Maureen Murdoch. Maureen was a student of Joseph Campbell's. He was Joseph Campbell's this mythologist who, who kind of codified The Hero's Journey, if you will. And what she found, and so I started studying the heroine's journey. And in the heroine's journey, the heroine goes out, it starts off like the hero's journey. She goes out in the quest of something outside her. She overcomes one external obstacle after another external obstacle until she ultimately reaches this final destination and gets what she wants and what she deserves. And where the heroine's journey breaks off is where the woman, the heroine says, wait, this is what it is. This isn't what I thought it would be. This is not fulfilling to me. This is not what I thought I wanted. And that's at that point, I think that's where we as women truly reckon and encounter with the sacred feminine, which in the heroine's journey is defined as the dark descent, the descent into darkness, the descent into the mystery of who we are, you know, into that silence into that, you know, that dark in a good way place where um, we go internal and really understand who are we, what is important to us, what do we want? So it's that dark in a good way, internal inner knowing um, that 
provides true meaning, satisfaction, and answers. That to me is the divine feminine. It's, you know, God, magic, mystery, as an in, internally manifested and present in every single woman. And I think, you know, bringing that learning, like my own journey to uncover that, which was very much a heroine's journey, you know, my own journey to uncover that, to understand that and to grow from that place. I think that's to me what the sacred feminine in business actually is. Mm, so I love this reframe because when I learned about the, the heroine's journey, it, I, I like, I like the Anana and the Persephone and like you go the, the descent for sure. But I hadn't heard of it from like, it actually starts off with just like the hero, the hero's journey. But like, then you have this like, oh fuck, like I didn't get yeah. this is not <laughs> it. I love that reframe because I mean, like how many women in this society in this day and age actually are going through that? Yeah. And I mean, I, you know, it's interesting because Maureen Murdoch, who wrote this book, The Heroine's Journey, she was actually like a psychotherapist to very high performing, hard driving women CEOs in the 1970s. So just imagine, you know, just, just totally imagine all the parts of themselves that there was so much pressure to release in order to kind of go after this sort of traditional hero's journey. And that's, you know, that was the conversation that she had. This doesn't line up, you know, this doesn't line up with what I'm seeing, you know, and, 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 and in the conversation with Joseph Campbell, he's like, yeah, because in the feminine is always about an integration with who we are you know? And so that has been so powerful. And, you know, I lived my own heroine's journey in the sense that, you know, for a long time, and and we can talk about like why the doubling the number of women founders who sustainably scale past a million, that was like the first thing that came to me, you know, and it was really important. I didn't know why it was planted there. It was like, it just came out as a full mission. But from my own perspective, you know, um, scaling my business to that place, I worked hard to do it. You know, it was challenging. I had to be willing, all of this stuff. And I can remember, you know, I crossed that milestone and I was, it was exciting, but also it was just life as normal. And I came into this period of great disillusionment where I was like, again, is this it? And, you know, I really like it's, this isn't enough to make me want to continue doing it. I have all that I need. And all of a sudden I could feel like my ambition draining out of me because I didn't actually know how to grow from a place of, of sufficiency. The thing that had always driven growth had been striving that there's not enough. And I also was uncomfortable with, do I just want to stay here? I don't think that's what I want because stasis isn't a part of my path either. And so it really sort of launched this quest of what does it mean to grow, you know, a company and to grow a mission and to create value from a place that I'm not always driven by more is better. That's really kind of the heart of that. And that's where I really had to reckon with my own sacred feminine, you know, um, and, and sort of enter along that path and start to weave it more into the coaching that I do with founders. I'm curious, have you, um, have you seen a shift in this with COVID and, or like going, everyone go, I mean, is, is that just the descent? Was that the dark descent for a lot of people? I think <laughs> like, totally. I mean, 
Yeah, at least in the circles that I run in, I feel like there's more and more people who are unwilling to hustle, who are unwilling to um, put their mental health uh, to the back burner in pursuit of a monetary or external goal. Are you seeing that too? Totally. 100%. Like I saw, I completely saw that. And it's interesting because, you know, it was like for the first time in so many of our working lives, we were able to have a season of quiet. You know, like even those of us who had like, my business was kind of always virtual, for instance, and, and many of people in my world, they also ran companies that were virtual. So there were shutdowns, but we weren't really shut down, you know, but it still felt like a season, like a fallow season, you know, and this cycle where we were allowed to be quiet and we were allowed to be introspective and we didn't have to be driving people places or driving ourselves. We didn't have to be traveling to this conference or that event. And there's this period of quiet. And I definitely feel that it allowed this descent, this quiet, this reckoning. And I am so excited for what this will mean in one year, in two years, in three years. Like I'm really hoping that that the benefits of that extend and that we can bring them into a new type of growth model. Oh, so good. So I know that a part of your work, you talk about growing inside the patriarchy and that holds women back. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So to me, you know, when I think about like a patriarchal growth model, it's really based on this idea that um, more is better. It's also based on the idea that the end justifies the means. And I think that that's like the core of the patriarchal model. The place that we're getting to justifies everything that had to happen to get us to that place. So this is, you know, put in the work, get up early, go to bed late, put in the work, show up always, you know, like, you know, do whatever you need to do to be, to be present, to be, you know, to, to be hustling, to be getting after it. And, you know, I studied economics and in economics, we called that externalities. So it was like, if a factory pollutes a river, that's an externality. It doesn't cost the factory anything and it allows them to have greater shareholder returns. So the end justified the means that is patriarchal growth. And when I look around at the planet, I see that we are the limits of what patriarchal growth can do. I mean, you know, there's pretty significant, we have, we're facing pretty significant environmental issues. We have pretty significant at the time that we're recording this things like geopolitical instability to me it really says there is there is an alternative is needed the problem is i you know i've had the opportunity to be able to provide input to like the deputy prime minister of canada a fantastic woman by the way who was putting together an economic budget i've had the opportunity to do these things and one of the things that has come through for me is that big decision makers and entrepreneurs and big corporate, you know, leaders who influence millions of dollars and millions of lives, they don't actually believe us. So when women like you and I, who are models of no growth can be sustainable, I don't think it can, number one, they don't really hear us. (laughs) Number two, I don't really think they believe us. 
And that's where all of, when I realized that, that's when I, all of a sudden my mission of doubling the number of women founders who sustainably scale past a million, I was like, that's where it came from. This is the proof point. Like I have a vision that, you know, in 2030, I'm going to be going to the UN, but it's going to be a collective. You'll be there. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there's a collective of us and we're going and we have businesses that have generated tremendous revenues have impacted people. We have contributed to divert. We've bought from diverse owned businesses. We've provided wonderful humanity filled employment to people. And it's, it's woman after woman, after woman, after woman. And we say, look, we are the model of this. Like, this is what we've created. This is the economic impact that we have generated. Um, we are a proof point that a new way of growth is possible. And without that, you know, without that, they won't believe us, <laughs> you know? And so we keep stuck in this old patriarchal model, you know? And so I think that's, you know, that's why I so appreciate opportunities like this, just that ability to, for us to talk about that there is a different way of doing business. And then in doing it, it's not just what it does for our lives, but it's the, it's the story we're able to share you know, with humanity, really, that there's another way. Well, so what's coming to mind around this, because you're bringing up environmental sustainability, and that was like a huge part of my past of like the activism and the, how do we actually bring this into business? And one of the things that kept coming up again and again with people is the, the role that busyness plays in people's ability to have sustainable choices and or not and like what a what a perfect um representation of the masculine or the patriarchal way versus the sacred feminine way of like when we all have more time to rest when we all are not just like grinding to make ends meet or to make more than ends meet but like just that that hustle 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 like the second that we get busy like we're not going to recycle or we're going to buy off of amazon if instead of buying local we're gonna like yes. make all of these choices just for convenience because of course we're tired we're burnt out and the convenience factor is such a huge thing so I I feel like this is such a beautiful thing with like we all need to be less busy we need less just fodder in our life in order to make those decisions for ourselves and for our businesses Okay. I have to thank you because that is such an extraordinary genius point. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I hadn't thought about that, but I want to share with you. So the model, you know, and again, I think we can't be it if we don't see it and we can't do it if we can't conceptualize of it. And so I always felt that you had to have, I had to put forth a concept, a way, a model of doing this. And so that's where I created, it's called the jewel business model. And I was like, what are the, you know, when I think about the women that I work with and who are listening, like what's important to us, so of course, finance, abundance, financial prosperity, the ability to provide to the degree that we want to do that, um, uh, autonomy, freedom, you know, and influence the ability to have a positive impact. Like this is like total life success and three metrics that provide a lot of choice for us in terms of how we express these things. But I think about it like CIA, cash influence, autonomy. 
So the jewel business model, which is what we teach, it's a model of growth that allows for the creation of CIA and allows us to nourish the planet. And so it's three things, 30, 30, 30, 30% rev top line revenue growth. So your company is growing at 30% a year. It's not 10 xing doesn't have to, unless you want it to, it could 10 X, you know, or you might say, you know what, this is a season of my life where I'm actually going to put the brakes on growth because I need to put my attention over. So it's 30%. We're putting it out there. It's not crazy. It's abundant until such time as the founder wants to accelerate or decelerate growth, 30% profitability. And this really allows to use, to have money that can re go into growth, can go into your community, make a financial fortress, whatever, and then 30% open time. And I always felt that that 30% open unscheduled time was critical for a sustainable business. And I always thought about it in terms of the personal sustainability of the founder. But until you shared that story, I didn't make that connection to how busyness and when we are personally unsustainable in terms of our schedule, how that fuels consumption in not, you know, like unhealthy, un, not good for the environment consumption. So I have to thank you. I'm going to quote you, Sam. I'm going to be like, look, I didn't make this connection until this genius Sam Garcia pointed it out. But that to me is like the feminine model too. It's a co-creative model. Like, I don't think any of us have the answers. I would never want to be the guru of, you know what I mean? Like how this is done. Women for centuries, for millennia, we've done it. It's been this idea of collective advancement you know? Well, so uh, another side of this for the the 30% open time, I remember seeing a tweet during the, uh, all the black Lives matters stuff yeah. of like, if COVID wasn't happening and we all didn't have to go to work, do you really think that people would be out on the street rallying? So that open time actually opens up space for people to be more politically aware, to be more active in their communities, to become activists, become yeah. philanthropists, like actually contribute contribute in that other way. So like it's even beyond environmental sustainability, it's like ethical social structure sustainability. Yes, totally. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that. And it's so true. And I think that's the thing, right? It's the promise of what happens when, as a woman, you have time just to be like, just to be, and there's no other expectation. Like your time doesn't have to have a job. (laughs) You know, like your being doesn't have to have a job. And to me, this is the, you know, this, ability to be is a huge part of, of what it means to lead, you know, from a feminine perspective, you know, one of the personal practices that I have, you know, have, have brought in, because another part of, of bringing the feminine into business is that this concept of wholeness, you know, and what I have found is that, you know, I have, have a practice of basically every morning and every, and the evening, and this is on YouTube. So I'll show you, I have this little picture of me. This is me. I'm holding my pet chicken, Polly. I'm like four, four, four years old. I know she like, she literally let me hold her, but it's so interesting because what I have found as I've grown my business is that, you know, that girl is still inside me like all the different parts of me. It's not like, it's not sort of like an inner child or this previous version. She's clear and present and alive, you know, inside me. And it took me a while to realize this and that as I grew and challenged and stretched, you know, as the woman I am today, 
that I had to make room at the table for all these previous iterations of who I have been. And in my industry, which is like the coaching industry, where the, even the coaching industry itself is, has been a little patriarchal in terms of, I think, therefore I am. Like it's, it comes from Rene Descartes that everything comes from th thinking, the thinking mind, and all you need to do is to correct your thoughts. And I had tried to do that. But a lot of times it's like telling her, just shut up. Like you're just a limiting thought. And she's like, but I'm not though. So this sort of idea, you know, of this wholeness practice and, you know, making room for every part of me and saying, here's what's happening. Here's what's going on. You know, I can sense that this is making you afraid. Why are you afraid? Tell me more. And okay. And you know what? There's totally room for you here, chasing around your chickens, being joyful, and you don't have to be the CEO of this business. Like I totally have that and I can do that. You don't have to do this. So I think that this has just been, you know, that's a big part of like bringing the feminine into business. Totally. Well, and I, I, there do, you do see that shift happening of like people doing subconscious work, people doing somatic therapy and like somatic experiencing work, people doing, being trauma informed and like, of course, bringing the body in and like, our body imagine. Yeah. Of like, okay, of course, like we can actually start. I mean, all of us being in the forefront of, 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 uh, acknowledging the wisdom of our bodies so that yeah. it, we can see that mirroring of like acknowledging the wisdom of the earth, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, I can remember like speaking at, this was a conference. I was like an MC of a conference years ago. It was a women's conference. And one of the keynote speakers was a first nations woman. And she said that in her culture, they had a belief that the way that you treat the earth is the way that you treat its women. And that there was a strong connection between those two, you know, and I, I mean, I, I agree. And I think that's where, you know, your particular audience of healers, of seekers, of witches, of wisdom holders, it's so important, you know, that, that this is the time for that wisdom, not to be like a sub niche, you know, but for it to be present, you know, in every boardroom, like I sometimes feel like I'm going to get burned at the stake <laughs> you know what I mean? sometimes in places, in spaces where I'm at that are very patriarchal in nature and you stand in your power and like a woman standing in her power in those spaces. I can remember having a conversation with this, with a woman named Hiro Boga. I was like, I felt like I was under attack and nobody was doing anything. I felt horrible. I will never be like, I don't even know what happened. I sat there. I said my truth and I felt attacked, but nobody was doing a thing. And she was like, that's the weight of, of the patriarchy. And I didn't have the tools that I know many of your listeners would have. I'm sure they're listening like, oh, I totally know what was happening there. Meanwhile, I was like, oh my God, what's happening to me? <laughs> I feel like okay, somebody's going to so kill me. It's funny you're mentioning this because the, the most unearthed and horrible I felt is at like psychic conferences and like astrology conferences because like all of these people who don't necessarily know that they're psychic and they don't have the grounding or protection tools all in a room together. <laughs> oh That's my, totally, <laughs> right? Oh my gosh. Like when you don't understand energy, 
like I, you know, like doing work with, um, you know, I work with a woman named Hiro Boga, who's just this fantastic goddess, <laughs> you know, in a way. but it was from her that I learned a lot about energy. Cause you're now I understand what you're saying years ago. You would have said that I would have been like, I don't, I'm not sure I understand, but now I totally know. Like when you're with that ungrounded energy and you're like, I feel weird. And now, you know, when you understand that and, and, and know what to do with it, but I think about all the conflict, the confusion that happens because people don't have that understanding that you just shared. I mean, yeah, that's why these conversations are so important. Why I'm going to share this conversation with my audience so they can come and, and hear more about what you have to say, because I think this is that this is like the merging that has to happen to create the kind of change that we all want to see. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm sure you've experienced this of like you, you wake up to what's yeah. happening in the world and to, to your own like energetic abilities and you sensitize, there's like this sensitivity that comes, it comes into your system. Or like, maybe you realize that certain foods don't feel good and you're like, Oh, I'm actually yeah. sensitive to all these things. And there's this, this, this point of like, I kind of wish I didn't know, like, can I go back? <laughs> can I go back I to that? Um, and, and I, I, there are so many tools with that of like people like, oh, I'm actually really sensitive to other people's energy. I'm really, really sensitive to other people's emotions. And it's because they're missing that, like that grounding element or that how do we actually like survive in the world and not just hermit out because I'm like, I'm too sensitive to actually interface with the world. No, we need to open up our sensitivities and be in the world. So we need to learn the skills to be in the world at the same time. Oh yeah. No, 100%. It's so key. And what, here's what I have found. So, um, so interesting about the ability to open up to that Mm -hmm. myself, once I started and it happened like bit by bit, right? Like learning the tools about how to ground, how to protect myself without being brittle, you know, without Mm -hmm. feeling, yeah. Or without, yeah. So one of the things that I noticed was that the more I was able to step into that and do that, the, you know, the, the corresponding element was that it actually allowed me to have stronger and more compassionate boundaries. Like Mm -hmm. now I find I am able to have difficult conversations with anybody at any time. And it's almost like now, if you know, when you have to have, because there's, there's something wrong with the energy as an example, and that would happen all the time in business. Like maybe a client stepped over a boundary in a way that doesn't feel good or an employee or a, a vendor, or, you know, this happens, we're humans, this happens in business. So before I would just bear it and the energy, like I would just tolerate all of that energy. Now I find when these things happen, my whole being is like, this is a foreign object. This does not belong in your space it's time to deal with it. And so these, like, I'm telling you the boundary setting conversations, but that ability to do it, like, Hey, this is not, let's have a conversation about this. This doesn't work. Here's why, like lots of compassion, that work of, of owning my sensitivity has helped me become so much stronger with boundaries and more courageous in my communication. You become like this gentle warrior even yeah. though, you know, you're actually, it's by embracing that sensitivity and acknowledging it, it's been really powerful. It's like this queen energy, right? Like this is my kingdom. Yes. These are the walls. These are yeah. The- yeah, totally. And it's like, and it's, and I think it's such a gift. Like when I see other people who have that, I feel so inspired, oh, totally. you know? Yeah. 
Yes. And it really speaks to your, your dual business model with that 30% open time is like, you need that time to build up your resilience, not resilience, but like to like build up your own fortitude so that you can have difficult conversations and it doesn't throw you out. Cause if you're burnt out, then like, you're either going to like bear it because you don't want to have the conversation or just end the relationship. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Or, or re-traumatize people, traumatize people you know, like, or like be cruel or be, or shame people. Or cause to me, like when I look back as an unhealed leader, you know, as an ungrounded leader, you know, I look back in my life and I see places where I didn't know what was going on. I thought that, you know, so you're just doing the best you can and you end up, you know, being away with people, being in relationship with people in a way that you don't want to be. That's not, you know, a reflection of your values. Maybe, you know, you can't have the conversations and then you just get super pissed and, you know, it comes out in a way that you don't want. Yeah. Like this, you know, this to me, this is a part of the feminine in business, you know, and, and what we're able to bring and how we're able to transform. And I just think like this to me is, is so much deeper than so much of the like conflict resolution training. Like, let me position it this way. No, how about we are just whole (laughs) and have, and speak honestly. Yeah. Imagine that. So I want to hear more of these like practical tips around weaving. Yes. Yes. Okay. Okay. So really, so yeah, let's get super practical. Sam, keep me in line here. Okay. So here's the first thing that I would say that I have learned very practically. Women grow by letting go. So after, right. So after (laughs) women grow by letting go. So most of the listeners here, the biggest growth opportunities for you probably come from what you will release in your business. And I'll give you a very practical example. So I was working with a woman the other day in a program that I run called power presence position. She is um, a lawyer and she's really looking at growing her company. She has children. She just wants to be present you know, um, she wants to make great money. She wants to grow her business. She wants to be present and to have an impact and just to have time just to be. So we start taking a look. And the first thing we're looking at is where she can release and common parlance, we would call that niching down, mm-hmm. you know, like really getting focused on a smaller section, making your queendom smaller so that it can in fact become more expansive. Mm-hmm. So she's like, well, I have a niche. I'm a tax lawyer. I'm like, okay. And I work with business owners. Okay. So let's take a look. So we really took a look at what she had. And what we realized is that she had about a hundred clients and five of them contributed about 75% of her overall revenue. Yes. Five, 95% created 25% of her revenue. And then I was like, well, what percentage of, um, what, what percentage, when we think about the number of headaches that you have, you know, who contributes those, like the difficulties, the challenges, of course, it was the 95, you know, clients who contributed 25% of the revenue. So the first thing I asked her, what would happen if you released those 95 clients? And she is basically sort of like hyperventilating. I'm like, just, we're just in make-believe land here, but just stay with me. What would happen? And she's like, well, basically a lot of my client headaches would disappear. I would be able to release, I, I wouldn't need half my staff. I'd be a yeah. lot more profitable, but I don't want to let them go. I don't yeah. want to let my staff go. I was like, well, 
what would happen? You know, what would you use their time for? Well, we'd actually be able to address some things that, you know, I've been wanting to address, but haven't been able to have a cleaner practice. We'd be able to create a referral, you know, strategy. She could really see And that meant she didn't have to strive. She didn't have to market harder. It was all there, you know, and it was really about refining. And so that's an example. And I, we see it all the time that sometimes that ability, you know, as women, I think in our culture, we're really trained to take care of everyone and everything to overextend, um, to be a woman performing well in a patriarchal culture. You can't just be good. You have to be better than the other women to begin with. And you've also have to be better than the guys, yeah. you know, even to get your foot in the door. And that has been so ingrained that women are continuously overperforming, you know? And so I think just that ability to be like, okay, what happens when we release, you don't have to take care of everyone to really analyze what you have and start to really niche down on the core of your clients who bring you the most revenue with the fewest headaches. And that becomes the heart of your business that you want to grow. And that's key. And then how do we look at this? So that's number one, who is it? And then number two, how can we create very lucrative offers for those people so that you increase the amount of money that you have for every hour of output? You know, that's kind of like the second part of it. And then, you know, how do we get you support so that that is so well laid out that you can have another person come in and do that delivery for you. And your job is to set the culture and the tone and the vibe. And that's it. You know, so I think it's very, you know, it really starts the first most key thing is that ability to niche down, which is like business parlance really from letting for, for letting go and focusing. And that really begins to allow like very practically, I can tell you, like when I'm working with women founders, the first thing we do always is go in and identify release, identify release. Now you have energy to grow. You're not taking care of all of this. And what happens is that you start to transform your business where, you know, initially you may have parts of your business that you really like, but there's certain things over here. It's a bit like a Frankenstein. There's certain client groups that aren't okay. There's certain offers that, oh, you know, it's, it's, they actually drain you to a place where when you look at the world of your business, every single person, every tool, every process, you're like, I chose that. I chose that. I chose that. Right. And that doesn't happen. That's a discipline, but yeah, it starts with niching down. It's why we don't even look at helping scale past a million until there's a niche. And a lot of these women are already doing six figures. They've, they know how to sell, they've created something. And now it's about pruning, yeah. pruning first to grow. That's very practically um, the first thing I have other practical tips I can share too, if you'd like. Oh yeah. Let's, let's just go on that roll. <laughs> So niching down is the first. The second thing that I would share is what happens when our marketing and selling process actually becomes more about disqualification. Mm, Yes. Right. So it becomes about discernment. So the first thing is when you're very clear, this is who I am for, and this is who I am not for. 
And I think we sort of heard about that, <laughs> you know, like being, we, you know, we, we know we're supposed to, but then we actively look at, we trust people are going to come in. And my job is actually to discern and disqualify. So, you know, and be very open about it, you know, in your marketing and your here is who we work best with. Here's who we don't, you know, here's, who's not a great fit. Here's the work. If you want this, we are your people. If you don't want this, we are not your people. And it's this idea of, again, like you said, here's, I'm the queen. Here's my queendom. This is how it is in my world. <laughs> you know what I mean? And all of these sort of disqualification things that we do, it's that energy of, I know there's enough and I'm going to always give people the information they need to know, is this queendom right for them or not? Mm, so really, and- right. Uh, go ahead. No, it, it sounds like it, it, this would be an element where there's a lot of internal work that has to go with it just because we're all programmed to be people pleasers and that we must have everyone like us. <laughs> totally. Exactly. Absolutely. And I have had people, <clears throat> I have had people, you know, when I will send an email or talk about something and, you know, like this is who is going to really be great for this and this who isn't, you know, I've, I will have people say that felt mean. I'm like, there was nothing mean about it. It just, I was being clear. And I think, you know, weaponizing meanness, you know, around women, just kind of holding their ground has been something that we've done, you know, for a long time, but this is huge. And honestly, the old, the other thing too, is that it's, it's also just traditionally really great marketing positioning. That's what it is. It's, it's really about, you know, here's who we're for and who we're not for. And people like to know that, you know? And so I think there's a lot of ways that we can practically do that. But again, it's about curating a world that works for you, where you look around and you say, I chose that. I chose that. I chose that. And choice is very important for women. Mm. Yeah. That, 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 like, I choose everything in here. Yeah. That's right. He's like, remember you chose me. Yeah. (laughs) He's like a little. Exactly. So this podcast is called business as a magical practice because as magical people, as spiritual people, we often use our spiritual and magical practices in order to boost up our business. So like we'll do meditation in order to be more productive or we'll do like money spells or all the things, but we're trying to flip that of seeing our business as this, this playground for soul evolution. Cause I'm sure you've had the experience that like all of the tests, all of the, the expansion comes from those, those more challenging or quiet ahas that come through business. So I would love to hear how you use business as a magical practice. Oh my goodness. Yes. Okay. I love this so much business for me. It has really, it presents opportunities daily for me to be willing and willingness, you know, to me, like willingness is one of the most important magical traits You know, if you think about it, you have to be willing to do something weird, like have a conversation in front of other people with your six-year-old and be like, okay, how are we doing guys? (laughs) You You have to be willing to ground a legitimate 
shining silver cord from your pelvis right down into the center of the earth and then right up through the top of your head too. And like, it's a real cord, you know, like there's just certain practices. And what I have found is that business because of what it has asked of me, when I think about, you know, the mission that I have to double the number of women founders, I couldn't possibly do that on my own. Couldn't possibly. And so it has required me to be willing to evolve, to be willing to face the limits of what my ego wants to face, to search for modalities and answers that are way outside of my, of my lived experience to this point. It has really forced me to, the, the need to be willing has forced me to become a seeker and a seeker of different answers, tools, and solutions and people and practitioners that I would never have needed if I didn't, if I were not a business owner. So that I would say has been, you know, one of the big keys for me. I love that so much. So no one has answered in that way. So that, that was a fun one to hear. And when I tune into the, the energy of willingness, it's just like, for me, I'm like, oh, totally open to miracles too. Yes. Right. Like that, yes. like it, when you're open and willing, it's like, okay, so receptive. Yeah. So like open for support, all of the things. So yeah. yeah. Okay. So one other question I love asking guests is what have been your favorite reach recent purchases for business and for pleasure? Ooh, oh my goodness. Okay. So let me think about it. So my, my most favorite recent purchases for, for business is first class travel. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay. So because of my environmental background, I will never, ever, ever be a private travel person. I, I have no judgment. Well, I kind of have a little judgment about it, but I really try to keep that to myself. Judging, I know I'm a little judgy about it. But yeah, and so I, you know, I'm doing a little bit of traveling again. It'll never be like what it was, you know, before the pandemic. But that ability to splurge and buy first class travel and be able to have space to be able to have space in transit when you're above the sky, you know, like that has actually been incredible for me. It's not super practical, but it is, you know, to me, creation happens in the space, in the liminal spaces. You're not here. You're not there. You're not this thing. You're not this thing that is like maximum creativity. And so that's been actually, that's, what's really coming through for me as like a really cool purchase for business. Another thing I will say is a personal stylist. Ooh. Right. I work with this woman named Janelle McCoy. She's amazing. And it's just the ability to have somebody who supports you to present yourself visually in a way that matches the intention of how you want to be seen, how you want to show, you know? And so I feel very queenly, you know, working with her. So I'm going to say those are two, <laughs> like, that's what I've got for you in terms of like business purchases, fun. right? Right. And then personal purchases has been, I bought every, everybody seems to know this book. I didn't know it. And then I read it. It's called, it's called come as you are by Emily Nagoski. I am reading that right now. Right. It's, <laughs> it's so excellent. It's excellent. It's so yes. good. It's, it's, it's fun. It's like, to me, that has been like, did you like the whole thing that the hymen isn't a thing? 
So like growing oh. up in North America, this whole thing of, of having somebody pop your cherry, like, yeah. <laughs> like, going there, like that's not even a thing. Like that is not a thing. And, and she like busts that myth and like <laughs> the first, and, the, and then we go on from there. You know what I mean? But that book is awesome. It's really good. And I feel like that's been one of my most fun eye-opening, transforming, you know, uh, personal purchases recently. Oh yeah. I love it. it. It's, I'm only halfway through and it's just, it's, it's so fun. And it, if you're in a relationship or like, it, yeah. it doesn't matter whether you're in a relationship or not, but it, if you're in a relationship, it makes talking about sex, which it can sometimes be a touchy topic for some people. It, it really neutralizes it because it's just like, Oh no, this is just biology. This is yes. just like, exactly. <laughs> how I, how I, whatever. So yeah. I, I like everyone needs to read it. I think everyone needs to read it. Like, you know, we're not trying to tell you what to do. We respect your sovereignty. But read it. <laughs> so good. Oh, well, this was so good, Eleanor. Uh, where can people find you online? How can they go deeper with you? All the things. Uh, thank you so much. So if you like podcasts, you can check out Power Presence Position. My website is eleanorbeaton.com. And if you really want to sort of really niche down and create that business where you chose everything, you know, the place to do that work is in a program that I run called power presence position, just like the podcast. So you go to powerpresenceposition.com. Awesome. And any final words of wisdom for everyone listening? I think I'm going to return to that piece, which has been so transformative for me. Women grow when we let go. So good. Well, thank you so much for coming on. This has been so fun. So fun. It was such an honor to be here with you. Yes, thank you. Okay, bye everyone. It was so good to connect with you. And of course, please subscribe, leave a review. It helps us get the message out. It helps reach more people. So we always appreciate that and love reading them. So have a good week. I'll see you next Thursday. And go check out Eleanor.